The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. This whole conference has been all about the past, and I didn't realize that everybody else would be stealing my thunder. So <laughs> I guess this is just God's way of saying we're going to have some repetition here so this sinks in. Okay. But this passage that we're looking at today is absolutely crucial uh, because it's been used so powerfully and wisely but also misused. So this is on Philippians 3.13 but we're going to look at a little bit more of it. But um, let's start with prayer. Oh, by the way, before I do, I think we're on page 91. 91. 91. 91. Okay. All right. Lord, I just stand before you and say that uh, we trust you. We don't trust you enough. We don't trust you all the time. But for this moment, we're going to trust you because you're worthy of our trust. So, Lord, each woman you have ordained before the foundations of the world, um, who would be here, who's going to listen to this in the future, and how it's going to be applied in so many different situations. So, Lord, just make us humble, faithful vessels. And thank you for the, the things of our past. They are our friends and our enemies. And may we be so humble about the successes and truly trusting you and not full of shame regarding the failures. Lord, teach us what you have to say on this passage. Amen. 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 Well, I'm going to start with a story because um, stories are powerful. And I have permission to tell this story from a counselee of mine. Uh, it's true. Changing her name. I promised her I would make the details so vague that she can never be identified. Carmela, that's her made-up name, had terrible recurring nightmares. In the worst ones, she was not able to protect her children from a sexual predator. She had serious sleep issues, depression, suicidal thoughts plagued her. She f struggled really frequently with anxiety. And, of course, her backstory, as you're probably going to guess, um, she was neglected and severely sexually abused by her drug addict father for seven years. And no one cared enough to make sure that the children were taken out of that home. Okay? A few tried, but the, her mother covered for the abusive father. Child Protective Services tried to remove the children, but they got them back. All right? The pastor of her father's church missed every sign in the home. He even made a home visit once. Saw her father slap her heart across the face. He privately rebuked um, the father for his anger, but he never followed up with questions to her. All right? I'm telling a, a true story about someone we're called Carmela. All right? So, uh, she does finally escape the home, but in a weird way, her father sold her to his drug addict friend when he was afraid she'd probably get pregnant. Okay. So um, I know you're thinking, well, you certainly found the worst story you could tell. Um, 
these are true and these people are in our churches they're just real silent um, so she did escape the home she had multiple relationships where she was sexually used she thought that was all she was good for right she allowed herself only these kinds of boyfriends because what did she do she gave sex to get love in her mind she was a slut and she would never be anything else when I met her she couldn't put her past behind her she had come to know Christ um, she believed she was forgiven for her sins and she felt great conviction and regret for her multiple abortions her promiscuity her alcohol abuse oh, come on in. Um, but the nightmares stayed she kept having these nightmares her past haunted her but check this one out her trusted evangelical pastor again this is not the pastor of her family church this is now she's going to a solid evangelical church in another state um, her pastor when she tried to tell him said just forget the past and he used this passage okay just forget it and he didn't listen um, to hardly any details about her past it was too uncomfortable for him okay and his wife did not dig either because um, this woman this Carmela functioned at such a high level she um, was able to get a lot done they even encouraged her to direct a homeless shelter that they ran populated by women with similar backgrounds to hers the pastor figured if he kept her busy enough she'd forget the past okay he even told her once to lose weight never getting to the core of why she ate so much all right the truth came out years later when I I, I think I told you she was a counselee of mine I encouraged her to talk about the past it came out that she deliberately became obese because her her abusive father had told her that he loved her when she was thin and had long hair well of course <laughs> we can guess why she had her hair chopped short can't we yes so um, that is uh, you know that was just never figured out so um, you see what did she find she found you can hold that by the way she found that denial was what easier wasn't it than to admit why she was behaving like this um, but enough about Carmela I know some of you missed this story catch it on the tape it's a true story I just changed her name and I did it with her permission but I know some of you have a past um, you, or maybe you're counseling someone with with quite a past and a past that plagues them or maybe the opposite's true maybe you have a past that you're proud of we're going to talk about past in both senses because Paul had a past he was very proud of in one sense we'll see why and then another past of course that he, that he said he was the worst of sinners so we're going to talk about both but let's start with looking at the passage Philippians 3:13 is our main passage but I want to read uh, a good chunk of this chapter Philippians 3 um, 
I'm going to go 3 to 21. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Notice here he's going to talk about his past, his positive past in, in one sense. For if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day by the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. I'm reading out of the NIV. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which, which comes from God and is by faith. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this, obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now here's our main text. Brothers. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Um, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, um, that too God will make clear to you. But only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I often have often told you before, and I now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body all right number one many people have a past unless you're very young <laughs> you have a past might be very good or very bad. It's a past that sort of defines you in some way. Even if you think you are the worst of the worst, and some of you do. Carmela thought she was the worst of the worst. Or you think the best of the best. The Apostle Paul, he thought he was the best of the best. Or let's see if you think you've messed up all kinds of relationships in the past because of bad habits. Some of you have had a, a series of relationships. And uh, um, it might be spouses, it could be boyfriends, but everyone seems to be affected by the other. 
The lessons don't seem to be learned. So you have serial relationships. You think, oh my word, I'm not going to get over this past. Um, or some of you um, might have that opposite sense, a perfect record. Um, and you might feel that way. You see, everyone who's been born has at least some regrets, even that person who's very proud. Because everybody, everyone has sinned, right? Everyone's sinned. Everyone has been sinned against. Scripture says, if all have sinned and fallen short of the kingdom of God, it says that, right? Then it's pretty safe to say, you have been sinned against. So you've sinned, you've been sinned against. Now, how does that make you feel? Some Christians walk around feeling like, I'm never good enough. Don't they? Um, some, like Carmela, have nightmares of abuse or betrayal. Some are driven to perfection with very little peace. Some are ne never satisfied. Or maybe you're like this. Are you a rule keeper? Y'all love rules. Uh, you just love rules. Um, in fact, I think some of those folks find their way to the military because there's lots of rules, little rules for everything. But um, actually, I have a, a dear family member who loves um, certain games like Risk and others because there's lots of rules. And they're precise, and you can keep them. But uh, rule keeping do, does rule some of us. Other people are, are what? They're running from their demons, they would say. That's their past, and everything they do seems to be like just running away from these things that haunt them. They can't get past their past. Um, other people sometimes remind them. I heard one man say, my father told me I'd never amount to, everybody knows the end of this one, don't they? Anything, all right? Um, or they will tell themselves, I'll never amount to anything, I'm just a loser. That habit of thought plagues them. I call those brain ruts. That habit of thought, a brain rut, because you think it over and over and over again. It's like a rut in the, in the brain. How many here heard um, Martha Peace yesterday? Quite a few of her. Remember, she called it rivulets, which is great. I like that better than brain ruts. I just might use that. <laughs> because, you know, like a rut is like in a road that's even, a muddy road. But a rivulet is on the side of a cliff. You've seen that here in Southern California. You get lots of those places where the water comes over and it makes a deeper and a deeper cut. Well, when you keep thinking that same thought about your past, I'm a loser, I'm a slut, I'll never change, I'm never good enough, okay? That in your brain creates a pathway, a neurological pathway. And the more you think it, the deeper it gets. And I love Martha Peace's uh, suggestion that we form a new pathway, wider, <laughs> farther away, not down there. See, but those are neurological pathways, they're brain rats. Well, what was Paul's past? Let's look at Paul's past. Well, he was a persecutor of the church. He says that there. Um, he did horrible things in the name of God. Again, we know other places he calls himself the worst of sinners. Now, we know he was an overly pious Pharisee, but remember what he was embarrassed about, too. I mean, he tortured the early Christians, didn't he? He tortured them. Um, he ripped them out of their homes. I can't imagine that he forgot the look on children's faces as he took their parents and hauled them off to prison, maybe even had some killed. 
Actually, what he was was a spiritual terrorist. Really, that's what he was. Um, you think that just disappeared from his mind? Okay. Did he feel badly about what his cohorts did to all those people that he persecuted? Yeah, he called himself the worst of sinners. But this passage also lists something else about his past. Okay, some stuff he could put confidence in. There in verse 4. <laughs> if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> he said, are we going to have a war of what, what, your, you know, what your amazing past? Look at this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Okay, one of God's chosen people. The tribe of Benjamin, very special. Hebrew of Hebrews, regard to the law of Pharisee. No one was stricter than a Pharisee. They thought they were so much better than those Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection or angels. No, Pharisees, they tithed dill. I mean, they were out there with little scissors just cutting their little herbs to make sure that everything got tithed to the tenth. I mean, absolutely fastidious. And that's what he was. As for zeal, persecuting the church. So you can see he's saying, I was really zealous. I was doing the wrong thing. But he thought that anybody who believed in Jesus was bad. So he's killing them because he was obeying God in his twisted mind at that time. Because he says, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Wow. Was faultless. So he has got a past that is the worst of the worst and the best of the best all put together. <laughs> okay? So he's really a good one for us to study. All right. Um, and remember, as to his goodness, how did he get that? He got that position by birth and hard work. He was born that way and he had so much zeal and he worked so hard. Next point, do people want to stay stuck in their past? No. They want to move forward. They want to press on. We as believers want to better our lives and be happier when we're on the earth and beyond. We don't want to stay stuck. Nobody wants to stay stuck. No one's ever come to me for counseling and said, can you just help me stay where I'm at? <laughs> no. Um, even when we're sharing at church, when people share with you, what do they want? They want prayer, a listening ear, a shoulder maybe to cry on. Okay, they don't want to stay where they're at. We want to move forward, press on. Even if they don't know this verse, they still want to press on. All right? And they want the assurance that they're going to spend eternity with their creator in glory and not an eternity of emotional and physical suffering. That's what hell is, an eternity of emotional and physical suffering. Um, so... We want to move on. Um, but you can get really, really stuck. No one wants to be stuck, but we can be. So whether that past is filled with shame and regret or, or cravings, I'll add that in there, or even delights, we want to move on. I'll tell you a story of my 93-year-old mother who on Easter Sunday came to live with me. Um, <laughs> bless her heart, she has dementia, but not so much that she's forgotten where she wants to be. So when you ask her how she's doing, she always says, I'm ready for heaven. I'm ready for heaven. See, she she's, wants to press on. Um, she really, really does. Um, but every now and then, if you show her that old photo album, she remembers the past. 
and that's not always positive, but <laughs> we encourage her not to rehash the past, but stay moving forward. You see, someone with a whole slew of broken relationships may hold on to the hope that they can move past, they can press on, and, and, and all those bad habits do not have to chain them, don't have to hold them down, all right? Um, because God's made promises, and we're going to look at them. So what is this goal? Let's talk about this goal. We're still in part two here for those who like outlines. <laughs> um, what is this goal that we're to press on to? What does it say? Um, and they're in verse 13. The goal to win the prize. Hmm. Win the prize. We're in actually 14 there. Straining toward what is ahead is 13. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A prize. Is this a prize only one person gets? No. No, no, no. Every true believer gets this prize, but we're to press toward it, strain toward it. Verse 13 uses strain, press. Okay, forgetting what's behind. We'll talk about what that means. Pressing forward, but I want to see what that goal is. Being like our Savior, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see? In his resurrected body, as well as his character. Often we think, okay, I want to be like Jesus in his character. But how often does pressing on to you mean you're going to have a body that's resurrected like his. He walked through a door. Remember after he was resurrected? They, they were in the upper room. He walked right through that door. He had a perfect body, but he ate fish. So, but he had a completely resurrected body. You're going to have that. Um, if any of you have any aches and pains right now, you might find that comforting. <laughs> All right? Okay? Um, and if you're brokenhearted, um, I don't know how much we'll know about the past. I've had some very interesting theological conversations recently about in the new heavens and the new earth with our resurrected bodies, what we'll remember about now. I don't know, but I'll know there'll be no tears and no suffering. So what, maybe we'll understand more of why, because didn't we just hear in that talk that, you know, like our circuit boards can't handle why? Maybe our resurrected circuit boards will work better. And, and we'll know why, but the point is that resurrected body and that new heavens and new earth is something we should think about, press toward, strain toward. You know, because sometimes we think, well, the only thing that's going to change us if we just understand our justification. Well, I think we should make sure we understand our justification. But that's not the whole story. See, the whole picture of salvation is predestination, justification, now it's glorification. Romans 8, glorification. See, it's the whole thing, the whole picture is that what we're to be pressing on and striving for. It's so encouraging. I mean, when I'm feeling awful about something I've worked really hard for and it's kind of like falling apart in front of my hands, when I think, well, not only am I perfect in Christ, but... He's going to fix all this someday. And his honor is going to be vindicated. And the things we've done for him, well, that's going to last. And, and he also says, those who trust in me will not be put to shame. Those of you who are filled with shame, like Carmela, 
Huh, when we trust in him, that's shame, no, no shame, no, just glory and honor. You see? Why? Because we've been so perfect? No, but he has for us. And the exciting thing is he even changes us. There actually is some fruit. You know, when you hear us counselors talk about how broken we are, yes, we're all still broken, but he's growing us and he's growing you. So both are true. Positional sanctification's true. Progressive sanctification's true. They're both true. Because God doesn't ever quit. He finishes what he started. So let that comfort you and, and your, your counselees. So that's the goal. Um, next. God has precious and powerful answers to painful or proud memories of the past. All right. Here we get in the meat of it here. So this, I told you Carmela's story. She went to her pastor, tried to talk to him. He said, forget the past. See, Philippians 3.13 says, forgetting which lies behind. Just forget it, Carmela. Okay? Well, I just want you to hear this very carefully. <laughs> I don't want to be misunderstood. One cannot choose to forget something that they've never allowed themselves to remember. Can I say that again? Yeah. You can't choose to forget something that you've never allowed yourself to remember, that it was true. It really happened. This is how I thought about it, and this is how I felt about it. See, I'm not talking about rehashing, going over and over again. I'm not talking about that. Many well-meaning pastors and biblical counselors, based on this verse, advise their listeners to stuff it, forget the past, move past it. Oh, do you like this one? Let sleeping dogs lie. Yes, I've heard that. Don't stir up the waters. Don't rock the boat. We don't want to do healing of the memories. Well, no, we don't want to do healing the memories. That's secular and useless. But we have to admit it happened. We can't stay in denial, all right? We have to admit something happened. If we're going to do that step of the upward call of God, press on the goal, we've got to say, oh, well, I have a past, and this is what happened. <laughs> this is what happened. You know, not that I'm going to live there, dwell there, rehash it ad nauseum, but I have to admit it happened. This really happened, and this is what I think about it, and this is how I... This is how I felt. All right. What this passage is telling us to forget, here's very important, is the power of that past over you. See, it's the power of that past that you need to forget. The power. You understand? Whether you are a fear-filled victim, like Carmela was, it's safe to call her a victim in some ways. Absolutely or whether you're a pride-filled Pharisee, right? It's that power of the past that we want to put behind us. The way to move forward to the upward calling of Christ is to separate what you have control over from what you had no control over. Don't you love Steve Byer's Bucket System? Did you all hear it? Have you all been here for his? And that's a great book, you know, where he puts it all into four buckets and he calls it don't lump your past all together. Organize it. Separate it. I love categories, by the way. 
So I guess I'm just the kind of person who likes organizing. How did you word that again? Separate what? Um, separate what you have control over okay. and what you have no control over. What you're responsible for, what you have no responsibility for. And that's what his bucket system does. That which I've truly done wrong, you know, the innocent and the guilty. And then things that I responded to wrongly. And then guilty but um, responded to rightly. Remember his four buckets? He's going to really develop those. That book is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> very, very helpful. And that's what we need to sort out so it doesn't have power over us. Um, and it's hard work, though, because if you have a really sensitive person and we're talking about where to put something that they're absolutely paralyzed by, ashamed of, they are going to blame themselves for things they shouldn't, like Carmela, for instance. Um, she, she blamed herself for not talking because what her father used to do when he would um, abuse her and rape her was never let her talk. She even tried to open her mouth. It was just a hit. So she would hide under the bed and write. She's a fabulous writer and an awful talker. I guess we can understand why, right? Um, so when a teacher or principal thought something's wrong in this situation, and they would, they would talk to her, but they didn't know how to ask her questions. They would say, is everything okay? Well, a person is not allowed to talk. Now, if they would have said, can you write what you're thinking? Woo, they would have gotten a book. But they didn't understand um, how to. Of course, she feels real responsible that they kind of tried to help me, but I didn't know what to say. She was paralyzed with fear because she knew she would get badly beaten up. Um, and the time that um, Child Protective Services took the kids out of the home, they were they had terrible threats from the parents to make sure they didn't tell the truth so they could get the kids back in the home. Back in the home. Very, very fearful. You can understand that. So um, she had a hard time with that. And, and it took much time in counseling to work through that, you know what? <laughs> yes, the principal asked you if everything was okay. But there was a reason, a sensible reason, why you couldn't even think of the words to say out loud as to what was wrong and why you were behaving the way she was behaving um, in school. All right? So I'm not saying that this is, like, simple to do, <laughs> but um, with a, uh, and we'll talk about how to get help and who can help you sort this out. But the mo what you really know is that whether something is your fault or not, whether you have something to repent of or not, <laughs> um, whether you can't decide whether did I have control of that or didn't I, you know, when I think of some of the things I am most ashamed of from my past, I can't even remember if I started that or if I was responding to what someone else did. I don't even remember, because why? What do we do with those things we're really ashamed of? We, we, we block them. We block them. Every time it gets close to our mind, it's like, ooh, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. So I'm not saying this is easy, but it helps to the extent that the, the Spirit and the Word will help you with a person who um, is safe. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But you, you can do this. But the best way 
Well, you have to start with your identity. Next point. Start with your identity. Your identity is in Christ, not your performance. Now, by performance, let me tell you what I mean. I'm not talking like theatrical performance here. I mean your actions, your thoughts, and your feelings. Okay? Your identity is who you are in Christ. See, you're getting credit for all his feelings, thoughts, and actions. And guess what? He gets credit for all yours. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, someone explained it today like a report card. If you're the report card of, of your life, let's say, where you get a grade for how often you tell the truth or, or how kind you were, okay? Um, they've actually done this with a, in a kids program um, in Sunday school. You know, what, what do you get on, uh, on telling the truth or obeying your parents? Most kids give themselves somewhere from a B or a C. They don't usually give themselves A's, but they, no, you know, no D's or F's. And, and then they give Jesus a report card. Of course, he gets straight A's. And then what the teacher does is say, okay, let's switch. And you get the credit for all Jesus' perfect law-keeping for his father's law, his straight A's, and he pays for your less-than-perfect grades. This is a beautiful little way to teach grace to children. But that helps us, too. What is your identity in? Who you are in him, your adoption in him. I mean, Romans is full of that. The whole Bible's full of it. Um, is that your significance? Is that your purpose? Or is it by your performance? Um, like, let's talk about feelings. <laughs> All right. Um, I put that into, I think, the uh, description of this. Are your feelings always your friends? They are not, but they're not always your enemies either. Feelings, emotions are a gift from God. We just can't make decisions based on them. They should be the caboose at the end of the train and not the engine, all right? You can't make decisions primarily on feelings. We need to make it on a, what our brain tells us the Word of God says. That's why I like to be in a church that aims for my head and hopes I feel something. All right? Don't be in a church that aims for your emotions and hope you learn something. Okay? Aim for one that you're taught what the Word of God says and teaches you to be a Berean and study it for yourself and not just believe it because he says so. Okay. You study it because um, you can. You're not stupid. God gave you a brain and his spirit to understand it. So feelings. They're not always your friends, but they're not always your enemies. And... Uh, how about this? Think of something that you have put great effort in. Maybe you're a mom like me, and you were the like world's most devoted mother. I actually wrote a chapter in one of Elisa's books on on what it was like to be this like uh, uber mom. <laughs> um, see, my value and worth for years was in how my children were doing, because. I was raised that way. My sweet 93-year-old mother, long ago, taught me motherhood is the highest calling. I believed that. And I, my value and worth was how my kids turned out. And when they didn't turn out really well, what happened to me? Tank. Okay? Like, wow. But I was the first person to homeschool in my whole county. But they ate the healthiest food on the planet. And they... And they did this, and they did that, you know? And uh, 
we gave them lots of love and lots of opportunities and good discipline, but yeah, okay, some of it hasn't worked out so good. See, my, your value and worth is who you are in Christ, not your performance of anything. Maybe it's your grades, your career, your tea. I don't care what it is, but it's a gift from the Lord. I know, but I'm doing it for him. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't turn out the way you think, right? How's your expectations doing? I mean, you know, they just, we have to do our best to follow the Lord and trust him for the results because he's got the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we don't get to see the end very often. <laughs> so we trust him. Your purpose, your worth is who you are in Christ. That's your identity, not your performance. I'll tell you, that frees you from your past. That frees you from your present. That frees you from your future. <laughs> you just, the chains fall off when you get the big picture and you're not this people pleaser. I mean, I was born a people pleaser. Is anybody out here born a people pleaser? Oh, isn't that horrible? Oh, but yes, it's good. It's good because you're sensitive to others so you don't stomp on toes needlessly. But it's crippling because you, oh, am I, who have I hurt? Oh, did I say that right? Oh, you know, they don't like me. I'm so sad, you know. You know, am I a really good speaker? Am I going to get good evaluations? I mean, it's just nutcase stuff. It's self-centered. Okay? God wants, you to wants to free you from that. So, so we can call that my past, my present, or my future, whatever. It's all about Christ. It's not about me. It's about his reputation. It's not about yours. It's about his honor. It's not about yours. Well, we say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to reflect Christ? Yes. And we will. But that's not our core. That's not our center. Our center is him, and we trust him with the results, even when we don't like them. <laughs> okay. Because what did Jesus say to Peter? Do you remember after Peter denied Jesus three times, after having just said, remember what he said? Oh, those other people, they'll, they'll deny you, but not me. And he and he said he, said he was going to die with Jesus. Well, he denies him three times. And then at the end of John, when Jesus restores him, my husband just preached on this at family camp last week. It just came to life for me again. When Jesus restores Peter, three times, by the way, <laughs> and Peter is, you know, because Peter probably was worried that, do I even have a place anymore? I'm so ashamed of my failures. Are you ashamed of your failures? Do I even have a role in the kingdom anymore? Jesus restores him. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. You know, yes, I know you love me. Okay, feed my lambs. But then, at this height of restoration, what does Peter say? He points to somebody else. Remember that? You know that? And says, what about John? Yes. See, I guess he wanted to figure out, was, you know, does, does John get what I got? You know? <laughs> but he was... He was comparing himself to others. And that's what people pleasers do. They compare themselves to others. And my husband has a great phrase. He calls it, mind your own suffering. <laughs> mind your own suffering. Not just mind your own business. Mind your own suffering. Because Jesus says to Peter, if I want him to live forever, he will. He didn't say he would. But if, mind your own suffering. I'll take care of John. You just take care of you. See, control what you're supposed to control. You don't get to control that. I mean, I can barely control myself, and that's all God asks us to control, right? Have self-control. I don't get to have 
child control, daughter control, husband control, church control, no, just control me. That's hard enough. All right. So mind your own suffering. And this is still under Roman numeral four. Your identity is in Christ, not your performance. Your past failures do not define you. And I must say, on the opposite side of the coin, your past successes do not define you. You get your purpose from God, like I said. His reputation, not yours. So where is your value? It's in what he's done for you. It's what he says about you. Get rid of your disordered loves and in your inordinate desires. Does anybody listen to Tim Keller? My sister's a big fan of Tim Keller. and She's always giving me his, his sermons. And he has two great phrases. He calls them, um, you know, these, these idols we might call them. He calls them disordered loves. Isn't that a great phrase? Disordered loves and inordinate desires. That's what they are. These things that make you feel like you're actually in control. Right? Like in my house, I have this habit that makes me feel like I'm in control of labeling everything. So but yeah, I have to be really fast and get it done. So if I put a label on it, then I can find it really fast. So when my visitors come and see that I have <laughs> by the front door, you know, light switches, there's six of them in a row. I have them labeled. Now, part of it is because I'm so old, I can't remember what goes to what, what you know. But it's also because I've got to be fast, got to get it done. You can see I'm a type A personality. Go, move. So I have it all labeled and orderly. And every, what, because we were taught that, weren't we? There's a place for everything. Oh, we were taught, did we, did we have the same mother? <laughs> yes. But see, that's not what gives you what you're worth, okay? Because you put everything in its place and you can find it fast. No, it's who you are in Christ. I mean, we're happy to find it fast, especially because your husband can never find it. But, 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 that's not what gives you your worth. You'll see? Get rid of your disordered loves and in your inordinate desires. Your bad habits will be forced out when they're displaced by the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that organizing is a bad habit, but you, it can be overdone. Lots of good things can be overdone. Is washing your hands a bad thing? No. Can it be overdone? Yes. Washing your hands for 20 minutes um, up to here, surgical scrub, every time you think you might touch food, it's called over the top, <laughs> all right? That person might suffer from OCD. By the way, you don't actually get the label OCD until it keeps you from doing what you have to do. So, but remember, these are just disordered loves that got way big. Um, inordinate desires, but they're going to be forced out when they're displaced by the gospel of Christ. So when, um, if because of your past, because I'm thinking <coughs> I'm working with someone who overwashes, overwashes, in that person's past is molest. I'm not talking about Carmela, but she was the victim of a voyeur one time at age eight. By nine, she was overwashing, checking constantly. In fact, she heard the pastor preach that passage that when you take communion, you make sure you don't take it unworthily because 
Some, you know that passage? Some are sick and some have fallen asleep. So she thought that because her hands weren't clean enough, she caused people at church to be sick. Okay, or she, she wasn't. So every night this girl would go to every family member and say, is everything okay between us? Did I do anything to offend you today? Being sure that if she didn't take communion worthily, okay, she'd make, I know, some of you are thinking, I feel sorry for her. Well, <laughs> all of these things start small and they grow. Um, they grow. Our habit thoughts, whether it's regarding shame from our past or pride, all right, that's going to be forced out when they're displaced by the, the gospel, the gospel of Christ and the law, both. I don't want to leave the law out here. Don't ever drive a wedge between the law and the gospel. They're a beautiful, beautiful fit because the law drives us to the gospel, right? And then the gospel says, I want to please the Lord because he already loves me. See, we obey because he loves us, not to cause him to love us because he already does. See, but don't drive a wedge between them. The only motivation, well, there, there's at least two motives for living a holy life. Gratitude for the gospel, okay, and fear of God. You ever read about the fear of God in the Bible? <laughs> it's the beginning of wisdom. It might not be the end, but it certainly is the beginning. That fear of God drives us to that wonderful good news of who Christ is and what he's done. So that gospel is what gets rid of these, these fears from our past, these nightmares, these things that haunt us, or even pride over a um, a very successful past. Next, the past is part, here we go, of God's perfect plan for the man or woman you are today and will be in the future. I was so happy that my talk came after Brian Borgman. Hopefully you all heard him. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah. Those of you who are listening to on tape, make sure you hear that talk on the sovereignty of God, how to use it and how not to, and how to use it balanced, biblical way. But I guess that's what I want to say. The past is part of God's perfect plan for that man or woman you are today. See, monumental failures, and that's what shame is, monumental failures only serve to bring glory to God and growth in his body. I'm going to say that again because some of you are thinking it's heresy. Monumental failures only serve to bring glory to God and growth in his body. Now some of you are thinking that makes no sense. Like when a well-known Christian leader harasses his female staff for 40 years, Christ is disgraced and demeaned. I guess since this is public, I can use his name. I'm sure you've heard of Bill Gothard. Um, wanting to be very biblical, full of grace and truth. For many, many, many years, 34 women have come out and told the truth about the shame in their past. They were sexually harassed. A few were molested. His brother actually had affairs with some of them, and he covered it over. And his board did nothing. Say, well, that's a monumental failure. Okay? How does that bring glory to God? Well, let's see. <laughs> Guess what? I can't answer that. But God does what he wants, when he wants, why he wants. He's got this amazing plan. And I bet your lives and the what you've gone through, the good things and the bad things, He's working it out. And I know that when some bad thing just happened, because, I mean, I have a child who's been behind bars nine times, is in Teen Challenge, 
one that's been in the psych ward many, many times, you know, they're just all over the map. Some are doing great, by the way, praise the Lord. But some of them are really, really in the tank in, in some ways. You see, how does that bring glory to God? Well, the story isn't over. Your journey's not over. You have a beloved child who's wandering away. This story isn't over. It isn't over. Okay? God loves to do things. He unfolds it one little, little piece at a time. And then he says, he will never give you more than you can handle. And then what's my response? Well, it's shocking what you think I can handle. <laughs> but then, but then, you look back and you handled it. You're still sane. You still believe. You're still walking. You're still putting one foot in front of another. You're you're still you're still loving him and trusting him. Shaky, but you did it. See how to glory that was? We heard so many testimonies today about that, didn't we? Amazing. You just can't, you have to mind your own suffering, though. You can't look at somebody else and say, oh, I'd like her suffering. It's just way better than mine. You know, I used to make a list of families, pastors' families, that had no rebellious children. Now, admittedly, that list was short, but uh, I, I, had, I had the list. Then I had a long list of those, like I called it the covenant breakers, you know, there's a, all these, you know, and I prayed for them and, and envied that list, okay? <laughs> the Lord just, Eileen, mind your own suffering. I'm going to do what I want, and I know what you need. And every new blow that came, you know, one more domino fell, wow, crash. The Lord just whispered in my ear, I sent my son to die for you. How will I also freely give you all things? Eileen, trust me. Stop complaining. Be ready for the long haul and trust me. And by the way, for those of you who are in this for the long haul, a favorite passage to hold on to is the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. Don't you love that one? What's the difference between the five wise and the five foolish? Those five wise, what did they bring? Extra. Why? They were ready for the long haul. Are you ready for the long haul? Need extra oil, okay? Every day, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the truth of God's word. And we say, you proved your love. You died on the cross for me. You're not going to stop. You're not going to quit. And by the way, if it's, if it's some loved one that you're worried about, he loves them more than you do. If you care that much about them, you can't out-love God. All right? He cares more than you do about him anyway. So just stop fretting, worrying, pulling your hair out, fixing, over-controlling, and just rest. Pray, trust, and rest. I'm not saying you never do anything. But like one of my children says, you preach to me all the time, Mother. You're always sending me this and sending me that. Well, I'm not saying that's unwise, but you have to be very, very careful. Very, very careful. All right. I was away from my thing so long, it went black on me. There we go, right here, he came back. Um, when we are looking at our, see, we have leaders and authorities who fail. Someone just said to me this week, I am so bitter 
my friends disappoint me so much. I'm absolutely bitter. You know, what popped into my head is, don't we all disappoint other people? <laughs> we all disappoint somebody sometime. We, we don't want to, you know, be everything to everybody. We do. I had to just tell this person, yeah, I disappoint people regularly. <laughs> and they disappoint me, and they hurt me. They hurt me really bad. But I didn't tell that person how that person hurts me, because this wasn't the time for it. But, you see, Christ is our hope. And he's got a plan. And God disciplines, disciplines us all, only for our good, as a son or a daughter. Listen to this. He never disciplines us to destroy. He disciplines us to restore. Never destroy, only, only to restore. What is going wrong today, this is scary, I hate to even say this, what is going wrong today is part of his plan to make you more like Christ. All right? More loving, more faithful, more like Christ. See, that's the good. When it says all things work together for good, that good really wasn't referring to your feelings. Sorry. That was you becoming more like Christ. The more like Christ you are, the more you will be at peace and feel better some of the time. <laughs> okay, not all the time, of course. Um, God doesn't bring revenge and vindictiveness over your past sins and failures. Now, I've heard people say foolish things like God never punishes. So I started doing a study of the word punish, and I went, whoa, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, but it's never, it's, it's loving discipline. So Father disciplines you. He, it's not vindictive. It's not you did this, out. You know, I'm sick of you. You know, it's always restorative for your good. Always for your good. Um, well, look at Peter. Peter wrote the book on suffering. Talk about irony. He gets to write the book on suffering. <laughs> After he didn't even want to suffer the, the misunderstanding of a little girl at a campfire. He gets to write the book on suffering. Um, and David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, after not, not just murder and, and adultery. I mean, I think 23,000 Israelites get killed because of one of David's decisions. I mean, that's, that's pretty abysmal. And he doesn't even get his kingdom taken away from him. He gets to be king. You talk about shame and failure that God restores. See, there's always hope. When we look to Christ and not our performance, there's so much hope. So, in conclusion, allow yourself to think about the details if you've never faced them before. If you have things in your past, like Carmela, or anything else, allow yourself to think about the details if you haven't faced them before. You can feel the hurt. And then think about that upward call, that joy set before you in all eternity. I'm saying don't rehash them endlessly, but conversely, don't deny them. Don't bury them. Well, that didn't happen. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not going there. All right? But who do you need to do it with? I'd recommend an experienced pastor that you trust or an elder, um, a godly woman in the church who you can trust, a biblical counselor, Something who can guide you and comfort you with the word, who will pray with you. A safe person, not prone to gossip. And I know that's why people don't say that these things. They'll come to me and say, 
um, I'll say I'll talk, I've had an abortion because I ran a crisis pregnancy center for 10 years and people felt safe to come tell me about their abortions. I said, well, does anybody else know about this? Anybody in church? Couldn't you ever talk to any, any of the leaders in the church? No. No. Because, well, it's the shame. They've never really dealt with it. And sometimes we don't always hear from our leaders um, how they've overcome, too. Some are very good at it, but, you know, it's really easy to just hide things because, especially with young people, we don't want to tell young people our dirty stories because why? What if they think, well... They survived it. They're okay now. Maybe I, maybe I can do it too. We're so afraid that, you know, it's going to hurt someone else. Whereas if you're very circumspect, like my husband said in the Q&A time, um, if you share what God's done for you, you're going to help somebody else say, wow, maybe I can talk about this and get past it and press on to that upward calling, that goal, that prize in Christ Jesus. You see? Um, so talk about how you think and feel about past situations. Ephesians 5.15 I use a lot in counseling. It says, speaking the truth in love, we grow into the head who is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. That's not stuffing the truth in fear. That's not screaming the truth in anger. That's speaking the truth in love. So if you do that with a, a person who um, you trust, to use the word of God to not be too hard or too easy on you, um, you can be helped. And even if it's a soft person, God might use them. But, you, you know, <laughs> I wrote an article once called The Confessions of a Marshmallow because, <laughs> because by nature I am a marshmallow. Uh, people pleasers tend to be marshmallows, easy pushover, enablers, da-da-da-da. And that's not good. But the Lord will toughen you up even if you're that kind of a person. I tell people right now, I am a burnt marshmallow. <laughs> Crusty on the outside and even softer on the inside. But <laughs> still enough, well, people will trust you. So you can build others up and help them. Um, it can be a two-way street. And when you help that person overcome the shame of their past, you'll find out they bless you. It's always a two-way street. When I tell my sweet 93-year-old mother I love her, she goes, it's a two-way street. I just love her. She's bedbound. She can't feed herself. She can't change. She can't walk. But what a blessing she is. You know what she reminds me of? That verse that says, while the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Yeah. And I always think, well, now, wait a minute. And I realize her outer person is decayed, but that inner man still blesses those around us. It's the spirit, like, working right through her. It's beautiful. Well, I want to finish my last minute with the rest of Carmela's story. Some of you didn't get to hear it. You'll have to get the tape. But Carmela has made tremendous progress making peace with her past. Her new church has embraced her. And this is the most amazing thing that happened. I won't say what state she's in. I don't want to ever give away her identity. But I said, you need to find a really solid church. And I said, um, and I mentioned some denominations I really trust. And she went online. She said, well, here's one that's near me. So she went, and uh, she came back. It's a pretty big church. She said, the pastor talked to me today. I said, wow, that's great. pastor talked to you the first time. Big church. Wow. She said, um, I asked him um, whether he did counseling. He said, yeah, I, um, I, uh, I do most of my counseling with women who've been abused in their past. And I went, wow, <laughs> what's the chance of that happening? <laughs> um, but the Lord 
put her in that place. And she is very, very welcomed in her church. She teaches, again, not to cover her pain, but because she is now so sensitive to children. If there's an abused kid there, she is going to detect it. You're not, not going to be hypersensitive to it, but she is really learning from that. And they, and now I stopped counseling her, did what I'm supposed to do, <laughs> give her to the church. So the pastor and his wife counsels her, and they gave her the freedom to talk about how she felt and what she thought about what happened. And um, they or helped her organize what was her responsibility and what wasn't, what was her fault and what wasn't, what was in her control, what wasn't, okay? Now, she still suffers from her past, but she's not identified by it. She doesn't get those nightmares nearly the way she was. She'll get an occasional nightmare, but nothing like it was. She's not identified by it. And she's taken a stand. Um, her uh, father actually is dying of cancer, and her mother is using all the power she can to try to manipulate her, to get her to come back and play the game again. And she won't. She is standing strong. Now, again, if she had the opportunity to give the gospel, she would, but she knows that God has not yet done a miracle in those lives, and she is standing strong. And her new family is her church family, and she is really uh, growing. So she is forgetting the past. It doesn't have the power over her anymore, and she is looking ahead, pressing on, straining to that prize of that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And someday in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll meet her <laughs> and, and we'll know her stories, you'll know ours, and we'll see how God worked it together. And it was all to his glory. Amen. Amen. Copyright 2014, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.